It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtzcast. Cole Petum here as always. And of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa with a 1-0 loss to Arsenal at Villa Park on Saturday. Of course, you're hearing this bright and early on the Monday, so hopefully your Monday is a little bit more brighter um, and not so dampening with the latest uh, Villa mood, I guess you could say. But uh, nonetheless, we do have Tom Nightingale and Simon O'Regan with me as well. So just kind of running you through what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the Arsenal result, of course. Um, get through that kind of quickly with some main talking points. Uh, talk about the season, what we expect for the rest of the season and all that kind of stuff. Um, it does get pretty uh, dull to talk about a one nil loss where you feel like nothing happened and maybe even neither side even deserved anything. So let's try to pep up our steps in this one. But anyways, let's go to Tom Nightingale first. So Tom, how's it going with you? Yeah, not too bad. It's one of these where I'm glad that we're uh, recording this the day after the game rather than after the game. Um, but I mean, it's it's not one of the most infuriating defeats that we've had of the season compared to some of the losses we've had. But I think the main, certainly my main frustration is like, we were just soft, weren't we? So soft all game. Like, I've seen a lot of talk about showing them too much respect or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly what it was. We just didn't, I didn't really think we looked up for it at all. Um, which is a real shame because it meant that Arsenal never really had to get out of second gear really to beat us. I didn't think it was one of those where what last shot on first shot on target was the last minute, was it? Or like right at the end? The last shot um, of the game. We, <laughs> I know we had that Watkins one that deflected onto the post, but it was one of those where you just, from about 20 minutes in, I think you can see the way that the game's going. Um, yeah, I don't know, frustrating. Another one of those results, I guess, that um, emphasises how much work there is to do. And I guess how much, unfortunately, how much money there is to be spent maybe to start bridging this gap to top eight, let alone top six. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Simon O'Regan was at Villa Park yesterday. Um, I heard he had a nap because um, to be honest, if you, I know you did, I'm joking, but if, if you did, I honestly wouldn't blame you because I could have had a long nap that was much more entertaining than watching that. But anyways, how's it going for you, my friend? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I mean, I agree with, Time that it wasn't the most frustrating result of the season because there's been more frustrating defeats. But performance-wise, that for me, I think was the most disappointing performance I think I've seen under Gerrard's this season. Um, I think the Newcastle was a really bad one, but but that yesterday, that like like Tom said, it just looked like we weren't up for it at all, which was just so annoying. You know, Arsenal had, had a tough game in midweek against Liverpool and. You thought they they might be a bit tired from that, and although it's not quite the same Arsenal of the last few years, where you know they've got like a really really soft underbelly, it's still Arsenal. Everyone knows the game plan is you start fast against them, you get stuck into them the first five or ten minutes, and they will crumble. And the fact we just didn't do it at all was, yeah, it was really 
really flat, disappointing game. The atmosphere was really flat at Villa Park, which I know I've seen some fans say it's been like that all season, which I would personally disagree with. There have been games where it's not been great, but there's been some great ones as well. I think a 12.30 kickoff on a Saturday is it's, it's a tough, tough time to get a good atmosphere going, especially when uh, you're playing the kind of pretty boring opponents as well who aren't going to get stuck into a fight. So, yeah, it was uh, all in all a frustrating, frustrating day out at Villa Park yesterday. Yeah, massively. I mean, I mean, it's one where Arsenal played midweek, so I really thought we'd kind of come out guns a-blazing. No Arsenal uh, humour there, but I guess that works. Um, and you kind of sit back and wonder what went wrong. And, I mean, you can think about that with any loss, of course, but... I don't know. It just didn't look like anyone from my perspective was bothered. Um, the willingness to press the Arsenal back line and to really get things going forward was nothing really. Um, you look at maybe Matty Cash as one of the only players I'd say yesterday that really looked bothered to try to push Phil up the pitch. And to be fair to him, he had some really nice spells of possession in the Arsenal end and maintained it very well, which is kind of unusual typically for a right back, I would say. But uh, nonetheless, the one thing I've kind of been seeing a lot, Tom, over the last day or so was a lot of people blaming officiating. And of course, it's an easy cop out, but that's not the real issue yesterday. We'll get into the whole Tyrone Mings thing here after, but that's not the only issue here, was it? No, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, like every game, it's the life of being a... uh very very partisan football fan is that every game you have complaints about the officiating right it's just the way it goes but like don't get me wrong the referee wasn't i didn't think he was very good at all really um you would hope the standard would be better than that but i also didn't think it was particularly uh i didn't really think it's particularly anti villa or we got the bad end of it that much i think it was just a poorly refereed game um the mings one not for me. It's not even a foul. We were talking about this beforehand. I don't even think it's a foul, um, let alone a yellow card. But then the other thing is that, okay, like I know that that means that Mings, I can't remember what minute that was of the game. I know that that means that Mings then had to be a bit careful, but like, it's not like if Mings doesn't get booked for that, we're going to pull off a 2-1 win. Do you know what I mean? Like we'd lost, honestly, I think we'd lost that game from 10 minutes in, if not from the, if not from the kickoff. With the way we set up, I didn't think was the right way to go personally going back to the four, three, two, one um, last few results we've had playing that playing that formation have been really poor. The back-to-back defeats to Newcastle and Watford. We've looked a lot better. There have been a bunch of stats out there about how much more prolific and effective we've been with two up top. I can understand the idea of bringing Buendia in and trying to help out the midfield, but it's frustrating because it just ended up with like Ollie Watkins just hopelessly, isolated it was like tom hanks and castaway when it all all game um so it's difficult so but i mean officiating you know it's frustrating but i i don't think i think to blame the defeat or anything on that is missing the point really but i will say that i think i think tyrone mings in particular can feel very hard done by the more frustrating one actually for me rather than mings was uh ramsey getting booked really early really early because then he's got to be so careful for so long. And it does, I don't, Ramsey's not exactly the most um, physically imposing midfielder anyway, but he does, he does get stuck in, does a fair bit of, does a fair bit of defensive work and and gritty work in the middle. And just means when you get booked early for a pretty soft, uh, pretty soft offense, 
then it just means that you're walking that tightrope, as you say, all game long. Um, so frustrating. But for me, the root causes go far beyond officiating. I have to say, I, I didn't think we set up well at all. No, I mean, I, I get kind of maybe changing a few things and tweaking a few things post West Ham. You had basically like just under a full week to kind of prepare for it. Maybe you think you can go a little bit more direct down the middle. I don't know why you'd want to go direct down the middle against Arsenal, to be honest, when they have uh, Mr. Fowles a lot, Grant Ajaka, um, and Thomas Party as well. Way more physical down the middle as well, which is something we cannot cope with, clearly, as found out against West Ham, in my opinion, as well. So interesting there. They didn't tweak a few things. But, Simon, I mean, what are your really thoughts on it? I mean, I think what Ramsey's yellow was in like the 20 seventh minute or something like that Mings's was in the 33rd and then McGinn of course got one in the 34th and I think that was for pushing Lacazette who basically did a cartwheel um but uh anyways it's no it's nice to know that all that power comes from one particular part of John McGinn and we all know where it comes from but um I guess in the atmosphere within Villa Park yesterday what were the the hoots and hollerings around the officiating um, yeah, I mean, just on, on that Mings one, I, I agree that I, no, it wasn't even a foul. Although, having said that, Granite Xhaka seemed adamant that it was a red card. And if there's one player in the Premier League who knows what a reckless challenge is that can get yourself sent off, it's Granite Xhaka. So, so maybe we're all wrong and it was a red card. But um, <clears throat> no, the, the officiating was poor. Like, even the free kick they ended up scoring from, I think, was a very very soft free kick. It, I, I, it, I didn't really think that was a foul at all. Um, not that, and you know, like Tom's already said, that's it's had no real reflection on on the results, the, the poor refereeing. But it was poor. But kind of, in a way, I, I think, especially with, with the, that Mings decision, because we'd been so bad for that first half an hour, the crowd had been flat. That kind of, it got obviously... The whole end's very vocal when that happened. And it did sort of for the next four or five minutes create like a, a bit of an atmosphere. And you sort of me, me and my brother turned to each other after that, going, hopefully this will get the players going a bit now. You know, a bit of add a bit of uh, heat and atmosphere into the game, but it just kind of died down very quickly. And then the rest of the game was just some really scrappy constant niggling free kicks that he was giving which he sort of think just let the game go but I mean to be fair I, I also actually think that Granit Xhaka's yellow card was, was quite unfortunate I think it was his first foul of the game and he the referee pointed as if he'd made three or four fouls and, and booked him but I, th- I think that was his first one so yeah the referee was poor and I kind of I did though. There, there was some like chance of one nil to the referee going around the first half, and me and my brother just looked at each other. We were like, "No, we this isn't anything down to officiating as to why we're losing. This this is down to the poor setup of the team." Which I I don't know why we dropped from the the two up top. And uh, I think with that you had an outlet, like and you got you had an out ball. I thought. If you think back to the Leeds game, I thought Danny Ings' hold at play was excellent when the ball was coming into him. He's, he's a clever footballer. You, you just got that partnership going. And so I, th- I think the switch into that sort of two number 10 formation, there's certain teams that you can probably do that against. But Arsenal, for all we like to take the piss and joke about them, 
they've got some tidy players in that midfield. They keep the ball well and switch, switching back to that formation. I think you curb Ramsey's and McGinn's natural games. They're not able to be as expressive and box to box as I think they like to be and whether at their best. And they have to drift out wide to cover the fullbacks a lot more. And then that exposes Louise in the middle. And sort of, I was watching the highlights again earlier today, and they were making the point that Coutinho and Brendia, they were they were far too close to each other. Now, obviously, there's occasions that when you're in possession and you're knocking it around quickly, yeah, it's nice for them to be near each other. But there was a number of times when the ball went out wide to Young or Cash. And they're looking up and there's just nothing for them. Watkins isn't making a run down down the line. Coutinho and Brendia are both coming short to the same space. And we just, we made it, we made it far too comfortable for Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal were anything particularly special yesterday, but they didn't have to be. Like they, they were, they, they barely got out of first gear and were so comfortable. But I think we made it too comfortable for them. And I don't, as I, as I said before, everyone knows the game plan against Arsenal and what you need to do to beat them. So I was, was a bit surprised that that we that we were so bad and so passive, especially in that first half. Yeah, well, in my opinion, they set up for a one 0 win, and to be honest, should probably the game probably should have finished nil nil with the lack of action. Like if I look at the stats now, forty seven percent possession to Villa, obviously fifty three to Arsenal. Uh, Villa had eight shots. Arsenal had 10. We had one on target. Um, They had three. We had six corners. They had five. Uh, We had 13 fouls. They had 14. I mean, it just was, uh, I don't want to call that old slug fest, but it was definitely something that maybe not many people wanted to witness, to be honest. And I'm not trying to dull the game down, but at the end of the day, like I said at the start, when you're when you're playing a sluggish team that really doesn't change too much in their lineup from midweek, I'm just surprised we weren't really that proactive. And I don't want to say it massively concerns me because I think everyone kind of knows whereabouts we're going to finish for the rest of the season. So maybe it doesn't kind of amp up more excitement. Um, Maybe a few more wins would have been nice at this point. Cause I know the stats going around that at this point, um, well, we had what 15 overall losses, I think, throughout the whole entirety of last season. We've already hit that. So, um, I, I don't know. It's definitely something to consider. It's a little frustrating, but you know what? We are where we are. It's been a mess of a season. I think we all know that where we want it to be. So, it is unfortunate, but we do kind of have to push on from that. And I know Jared did come out and say as well that, um, really, there's there is a gap between Arsenal and Villa, and we have to bridge that gap at some point. And, I don't know, albeit we're not going to catch them this season and we never were. It just would have been nice to kind of make their season a little bit messier and to kind of just finish off strongly. And now you kind of go into Wolves and Spurs and you think, well, who's the best XI? Who's going to start? Does, I don't know, does Jacob Ramsey need a little bit of a rest and all that kind of stuff? There's way more questions than there probably needs to be. But nonetheless, I feel like that's what it is to be a Villa fan, at least as long as I've noticed that. But um you know, let's let's speak about uh, Jared's comments right now, and I'll, I'll get them up here because there's a few I found interesting, at least. And um, I know he did a interview with BT Sport that was a little, little nippy. So, Tom, I mean, we're not going to be able to play the whole thing, but there's two quotes here that I found most interesting. The first one, he says, I thought certain individuals lacked belief. And of course, at the end of the interview, he says, I'm emotional in interviews. I care 
I don't like getting beat. So, I mean, those don't tell the whole story, but they do tell something more so than, in my opinion, Dean Smith would say, definitely, or any manager probably I can remember in the past because it's being brutally honest. But what do you make of comments like that in particular? Is it a positive thing? Is it a, a sign of change? Where does it sit with you? I mean, it's one of those in it because we spend as football fans and it brought, you know, journalists and pundits do it as well. Like, we're as fans, we're always saying that we wish that managers and players were more forthright, right? And were more were more honest and were more upfront about everything rather than rolling out the same cliches over and over again, like we've had from certain managers in the past, your Paul Lamberts and your Steve Bruce's, perhaps are the two that come to mind. Um, so I mean it's it's good at least, I think, to hear him. It's refreshing, I think, in a, in one way to hear him speaking frankly like that. Um, and, you know, obviously he's still going to be holding some stuff back because, you know, he is at the end of the day media trained and doing a uh, doing a media interview. So, like, you can guarantee he'll be more forthright uh, behind closed doors. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, the comments about some players not necessarily buying in to what they're trying to do there. Like he said as well as part of that interview that we set up to be aggressive um, against Arsenal. Would have been nice to see any of that, wouldn't it, really? Like, I... I I'm not saying that I necessarily... It's difficult because as the manager, you pick the team that you think is the best team to win the game. Like, I don't think that you got it right at, at all, really, on Saturday. Um, thought we were far too narrow. We were obviously doesn't help, you know, that we were soft, really, really soft all game. And I suppose that softness is what he's referring to with players not necessarily being up for the fight or buying into what he's trying to do. Um, it's just difficult because you look at it and with like Buendia and back in the team, who's a real scrapper, McGinn's a real is a real scrapper. Like Louise and Ramsey have the quality and stuff. But the most disappointing thing for me is I looked at those teams before kickoff, and you're like, well, on paper we've got a lot of quality. But then I found it hard to look beyond Thomas Partey and Granite Xhaka in midfield for Arsenal. I was like, that they're going to win that midfield battle all day long. You just know that they're going to win that from looking at it. Same with West Ham. There was absolutely no way on earth we were going to win the midfield battle against Rice and Socek. Um, and so we're back to talking about the question about the midfield again, aren't we? Like we're always doing. Um, Here we go but again. I, I mean, it, <laughs> then I think it's going to be it's going to be a summer of turnover, isn't it? Really, and it's going to be very interesting. I've seen. Obviously, we can only speculate about the players that he might be referring to, saying that they're not up for the fight. Um, I don't want to go too much into speculating like who those players might be because at the end of the day, you don't you don't really know, but it's clear that he wants more fighters in the team. I think Gerard really views like you McGinn as a fighter. I think Gerard really likes what he sees from Ollie Watkins as well. Cause Watkins does do a lot of very uh, particularly games like this weekend's such thankless work like trying to hold the ball up trying to chase people down nobody near him for a lot of the time um it makes me having said i'm not not going to speculate it makes me wonder honestly about people like douglas louise because i know he's been a real contentious point he's quite divisive among villa fans i'm not denying at all he's a i think he's a really really good player i do think he'd be a better player if we were able to play him more as a sort of traditional number eight than trying to do the role of the number six or whatever. But I'm 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 not I wouldn't be that surprised in all honesty to see us cash in on Louise in the summer. Um we clearly want to add some more bite to the midfield. Ramsey's golden boy, 
McGinn, like Gerard loves McGinn. And I think, you know, McGinn's form does dip, does, does, you know, dip. Um, it's not necessarily consistent every game, but also that's kind of part and parcel of being a player for a mid-table club. Um, yeah, I wonder about people like Douglas Louise and there are others who I could throw out. Like, I think I'm not sure we're going to have too much more of like Bertrand Traore, for example, um, as a Villa player. I just, there are certain, as we're getting towards the end of the season, considering that we're in the, we're in the tail end now of what has, let's be, on, be, be honest, been a transitional season that's turned into a bit of a nothing season for us. Um, they're hundred percent going to be looking ahead to the summer already right now. Um, I think we're going to see five or six first team players out the door at a minimum, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's interesting with going, going back, just going back to Gerard, um, being public with that sort of stuff, I think is all right. Cause it's not like he's digging people out, naming names or, you know, being, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line, right. Between publicly criticizing a player in a way that's going to have an adverse effect on morale or whatever. I think the way that he presents it is fine. Like he's wants to be honest with the fans without airing all of the dirty laundry. Right. So, I mean, I don't have an issue with it at all really, but I think there should be some people in our first team squad who um, should be looking over their shoulder, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think we're starting to kind of see who might be kind of weaned out at the out of the at the end of the uh, season, I should say. But to get to that uh, Stephen Jarrod quote that Tom was referring to, Ashley Priest um, tweeted it out yesterday. Um, so quote for quote, it says, we set up to be aggressive but lacked belief in what we were doing. I thought certain individuals lacked belief. It's hard to execute a game plan if not everyone believes in what you were doing. And Tom's basically said that almost in little bits throughout um, what he was saying there. And I mean, it is true. At the end of the day, you do have to be accountable. And at some point, we do kind of have to start figuring out what the, I wouldn't say what our best lineup is, but what the most kind of successful lineup, I guess, if that makes sense. You can have all your best players in one lineup. It doesn't mean it's the most successful, if that kind of makes sense. So, I mean, Simon, when you kind of hear things like that, where does the rest of this season kind of sit with you? Is it maybe time to, I'm not saying abandon all hope for the rest of the season. We are where we are and that's it. But at some point, is it time to maybe, I don't say test the waters, but start kind of putting maybe some players to the side and start working with, say, I don't know, group A, group B saying, you know what, you're going to be here. You're in my plans. Group C, you know what, there's not much future for you here anymore. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Like, like you said, there's still, what, nine games left or something. So, you kind of, you sort of think that's that's still a large portion of games that you can't just sort of toss them aside and go, well, they don't really matter. But in a weird way, at the same time, they kind of don't. Like, we're, we're not going to fit ninth, I think, is the absolute highest that, that we have a chance of finishing. And I don't really see us finishing below 12th or 13th at a push. So you, you kind of... You think there's, you know, there's no, no, not real much difference between finishing in those spots. So, I, I basically see this season. I think I said this probably a couple of weeks ago as well. It's, I think it's, a, it's an audition for the players as to whether they want to be at the club next season or not. I think you kind of, you, you're not, you're not got a free hit because obviously you still Premier League football. So, you know, the, the games are going to be tough. But Gerard's kind of got a free hit in, in the one sense of that because we can't really we're not going to finish anywhere other than those positions so 
you can kind of you can use it to really sort of force through the whatever style of play he wants to go for next season. You just go right. This is what just set, select on a formation or one or two formations and the way you want to play, and just go with it. And if you get games that go like they do on Saturday, that's obviously one frustrating for us in the short term watching it from the coaching staff point of view that could be a useful tool because you really get an idea of right this i definitely want a b and c to stay at the club these have got to go because they're not going to be able to do it next season so from that point of view you kind of it's i think it'll be an interesting sort of end to the season how how he goes about it with, with his starting lineups and and sort of having a real look at who he wants to, to keep. Like I agree with, with what Tom said earlier, and I think I said after the Watford defeat. To be fair, I, I think there's a number of players in that uh, squad, you know, starting lineup and bench from the weekends that just will not be there next season. You know, probably yeah, the likes of Traore. Um, I still maintain that at least one, if not both, of Watkins and Ings will not be at the club next summer. I, I just, I can't see a way both of them will be there. Because you think we've got Cameron Archie, you expect will come back. I suspect that he'll be looking to try and sign a striker in the summer as well. Um, maybe what could be beneficial towards the end of the season when we're sort of really set on where, where exactly we're going to finish then maybe it's an opportunity for your likes of Iribunum to maybe get a bit more game time. I think those sorts of players, you're probably better off waiting to the last game or two like we did last season with uh, Chucklemaker and Finnegan Bidet, so we gave them the last sort of couple of games. So I, th- I think it, there'll be probably an opportunity for him to look at some of the academy players. But yeah, I think, like, like I said, uh, at the top it's I think the remainder of the season is an audition for a lot of players for who who wants to be at the club and who Gerard looks at and thinks I I trust you for next season as well. And I, yeah. honestly, I think that's like I think that's the most sensible approach as well because like like we were saying, nobody wants to as a football fan. You don't want to be thinking like mid March, nine games of the season left or whatever. Well, like we've got nothing to play for here. But like if we're being completely honest, we've got nothing to play for here. Like. Uh, I, I think as an on-pitch target, they should have, they should certainly have finishing ninth or 10th because that's well within our grasp. Like I know Leicester, I think now level on points with us have two games in hand. You'd probably back them given our, we've got, we've got some tough fixtures as well. Like you'd probably back them to finish above us, maybe. Um, but if we can finish 10th in terms of league position, I'll be happy. You know, like we haven't been, we haven't finished in the, the top half of the Premier League table or, you know, when you're scrolling or whatever and sometimes the Premier League table split onto two pages. Like, I just want to be on that first page again. Do you know what I mean? That's the next step now. We haven't been on, a, we haven't been in the top half of the Premier League uh, for 11 years. It's a long time uh, for a club who used to be there habitually. Um, so, I mean, I think in terms of league position and stuff, that should just get in the top 10. You can call that solid progress having completely moved on from a team that revolved around a certain player last year, like it's a tough transitional season, but I agree completely with what Simon said about um, it being an audition for players. Like, I think that's far and away the most sensible approach for the remaining months. Cause like we were talking before we came on this call about 
you know, Edens and Sawiris got it seemed and, and Perslow like seems to be a long term project in the pipeline with Gerard, which like let's we'll, we'll let's just go all in on that then. Do you know what I mean? Like they've clearly seen enough from Gerard, let him bring in all of his coaching staff. Like they clearly have the belief and it seems that they're going to have the patience as well, unless things take a drastic turn for the worse. Uh, they're going to have the patience to stick with him for at least a while and let him build that philosophy. So like, if you're starting off on that foot, what you absolutely can't have, like, like whether you like it or not, the truth is what you absolutely can't have is players who don't subscribe to that philosophy or don't fit the mold of what we want. And so in that context, like there's going to be some harsh decisions to be made. Like when we are going through players and somebody else, I think we should mention is Morgan Sanson. Like I'll be very surprised if he's still here because can't get game time now. And that's when like Chuck Rumaker's had a bit of injury problem. Like hopefully if Chuck Rumaker's future gets sorted and everything, or, you know, we might want to give him more auditions as an opportunity to, lead into a contract or something like you'd probably think that he's going to start getting in the team again ahead of Sanson. I agree that I think Tim Urogbunum is going to get at least a couple of opportunities later on. Um, and then we've got Nakamba. Great news about Nakamba back in full training after the international break, which I think we're all really pleased about because I like he was just honestly, he was he got himself in excellent form before the our injury. hope and our prayer and so, has answered. He's back. <laughs> yeah, I know. We move, we go through about five players a season, don't we, of pinning hopes on. It's, it can be Nakamba now for the rest. Um, but he, so that's going to be a priority as well on the pitch is like, let him play himself back into fitness so that he can really then get going again over the summer and be a key. I think that they, they've liked what they've seen from him. And so he will be here next season as at least a rotational part of our midfield. So that's another player. I know that Nakamba's more of an out-and-out six than like Sanson is, but it's another player you've got to think who's probably going to be picked to come into the midfield ahead of Sanson. So, you know, Sanson looks a neat and tidy player. I'd have really liked to have seen more from him in a Villa shirt. And maybe he will get a couple of auditions as well, but he strikes me as another candidate for leaving in the summer. And then you look even at last year's transfer business. I, I know we all like talking about pinning hopes. We all like to be pinning hopes on Leon Bailey for a long time now, but I think it's, I don't think it's too rash a statement to say that had Gerard been in charge last summer, we wouldn't have signed Leon Bailey in the summer. Like we signed Leon Bailey for a system where we were playing out and out wingers. Um, we don't play that now. That's Gerard's, seems to be Gerard's third choice approach, right? If you think the top two are the two strikers with Coutinho central, and then the other one is the two sort of inverted number 10s, like wingers, a system with wingers seems to be third choice. How long are you going to have players like Bertrand Traore, who when fit can have a, can have a decisive contribution and there would be people interested in his signature in the summer. And like Leon Bailey, a 30, 30, whatever he was, million pound signing who, seems to be a very um, ambitious young man. Like how long are you going to have these players willing to sit on the bench and get 20 minutes here and 30 minutes there, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's funny when you, like, I, don't, I don't want to throw Bridge and Trayer under the bus, but like he has, the, when you think, of, you think of all his contributions, he is the most perfect example of a prototypical winger, the inconsistent, like the most consistent inconsistent individual i've probably ever seen and we have had some absolute stinkers at villa from what i can remember and we don't need to go through that list there's too many but anyways i did see a tweet from um at villa views underscore on twitter uh, earlier this morning and 
Simon, I'll throw this one at you. I mean, we are very much mid table. I think Tyrone Mings said in his uh, night with Tyrone Mings thing he had at Villa Park uh, earlier in the week um, that we're just basically the definition of mid table essentially. But with this tweet basically outlining the progress we made season upon a season, so 17 18 in the championship, 18 19 promotion unexpectedly, of course, 19 20 survival in the last day, last season 11th reliant on Grealish. This season, currently ninth without Jack. And then it just finishes with saying the plan is working. We're just not there yet. I mean, to kind of try to brighten things up a little bit more and to add on to what Tom was saying, I mean, it's not all bad, is it? No, not at all. I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I think it is worth remembering as well. We have come a long way in a short space of time. And I know there's uh you know football fans you always want more you always want to be more ambitious and to be improving which is fine but we are improving like you've got to i know i've spent quite a bit of money since you've come back up into the premier league but we'd spent three years outside the premier league that that is a long time now like i know it doesn't seem like long three seasons but three seasons out of the premier league and also, the year we went down was the worst year financially to go down because the TV money absolutely rocketed. So, in a way, they, they sort of the big money we spent that first year we come up, and then the second season, really, that was just playing catch up on other mid-table teams. When you look at the money that that others have spent, you know, Everton have spent the best part of half a billion pounds over the last four or five years and where's that got them like it's if, if being outside of the Premier League for the amount of time we were and then the sort of squad rebuild that we had to do afterwards they said those first sort of couple of years that money is just basically paying catch up to try and get you on a level playing field with the sort of majority of the clubs in the league obviously you've, you sort of your top three four are well ahead of us financially and, and everything like that. But you, you sort of, you're midst of the middle of the road clubs like Crystal Palace, Everton, Newcastle, so on and so forth. A lot of money was spent, was needed to be spent just to get to, to their level. And, you know, we, we've still got, we're sitting ninth at the moment, or we may have gone 10th now with Leicester's win today. That's still the top half of the table. That's for what? This is our third season back in the Premier League now. To be, to be a comfortably mid-table team that could easily finish in the top 10 three seasons back into the league, it, it's not bad going. And I think sometimes, I, I, like, some fans hate hearing that. They think that, oh, you, like, that, that you're being like, overly negative or something like that. I, I don't see how it's a negative to say that after in your third season back after three years out, your comfortable mid-table team, you can finish in the top ten. I, I don't see how that cannot be seen as anything but positive. And as I said, the, the, the amount of money spent, it's kind of the way transfer figures are these days. To be honest, money on transfer fees is kind of irrelevant. It's about how we you know when when people spend thirty million pounds, say on a on a defender. You know, years gone by, you, you, that'd be eye-watering amount of money. It really, the, the money in the Premier League is so huge now. 
that transfer fees are largely irrelevant. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a red herring that that sort of argument as well. So yeah, no, kind of what I, I really like. There was like a little video clip that went around of um, one of the Ming's interviews on, from that evening at Villa Park, where it, I just thought he made really valid points that that shouldn't be forgotten. You know, three years ago we were in the championship this time three years ago and you know the, the where we've got to now and also just a quick one the every level that we've stepped up it's harder to reach that next level going from the championship to the premiership is you know that 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 was the challenge to overcome the challenge to stay up that following season was harder than the challenge to get promoted then the challenge to get comfortable last season was harder than the challenge to stay up. To try and get from mid-table to top eight, let alone top six, let alone top four, which is obviously the ultimate dream, it's going to get a lot harder and will require a lot more, it will take longer to achieve and will probably require a lot more investments than to than overcoming the other ones. So I think we're definitely going in the right direction and just... Patience is required here. I mean, it's it's definitely true. Like about that, the the to us taking the step now from ninth or tenth, even to eighth or seventh, is you know apart from okay, getting promoted out of the championship is really is really difficult. But as an argument, I think to say that the challenge we're facing now in making the step up is the biggest challenge we've faced in twelve or thirteen years or whenever it was that season that we were neck and neck with Arsenal for fourth for a while before fading away under O'Neill. Like it's because since then I think even like breaking into the top, it used to be about breaking into the top four, right? Everton were there about there and thereabouts a lot as well, right? But about accidental there and thereabouts there. I'm going into managerial cliches myself now. But uh and I think now getting into the top six or top eight has become a lot harder since we were a top six side. Right. And, it, you know, staying in there is hard enough. But once you fall out of that, you know, top eight where we were pretty consistently under like John Gregory and then O'Neill, obviously, the the uh, six, six, six seasons um, to then fall out and then fall away and get relegated and then come back and everything. Yet, like the chat, the challenge has changed completely, to be honest. A lot of it going back to what Simon said about the TV money and everything. Um, so I think hindsight is obviously you know, it's easy to talk with hindsight, but given, you know, that we lost Grealish, lost our whole identity and like, you know, you can't, I think it's, I've seen a couple of people get fans getting annoyed by other fans saying that we were reliant on Grealish last season. Like open your eyes. <laughs> we, we were entire like, you know, we built our whole style of play around him last season. So I think, you know, realistically, I know the owners will have liked to say, oh, we'll push for Europe or whatever, but I think where we are now, if the season ended today, I know we've got hard run of fixtures coming up, you know, if the season ended today, we finished ninth, tenth, I guess, yeah, now after Leicester's win. Um, that's real, real progress because not only losing Grealish, but then, you know, the factor in factor in the managerial change, you know, Smith had been there for three and a half years or whatever it was. So we were fully into the, you know, Dean Smith way of doing things. Then to bring Gerard in, very different approach bring in a whole new coaching staff and then not only that but the fact that that happened in November kind of then has the retrospective effect on the summer transfer window we did because I mentioned earlier you know but like the the summer signings we made spent a lot of money those were for Dean Smith those were for Dean Smith's villa 
So there's all these factors like setback, 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 all it, you know, without giving in, going into all of the injuries and the bad luck we had early on and stuff. Um, surely finishing higher than like ninth can never really have been bandied around as a realistic accomplishment this season. I'd be very surprised if when Gerard came in, the owners genuinely said to him, they'll obviously have said we want you to try and battle for Europe but like there's no way that not finishing in the top eight is going to be considered a failure this year by the board and by Gerard really um and so I think it's about adjusting expectations and stuff and then obviously like talk about going again next year but then next year is very different because you know Gerard gets the full summer and pre-season like there will be higher expectations this season but I think to expect more than we're getting this season which is very much just a firmly mid-table team to go back to the point that you, that you relayed, Cole. Like that is just what we are, and I think at this season, at this point, you just have to embrace that. You know, yeah, and like to kind of add on to what you guys were saying, if if you think about it, commercially, on the pitch, everything we've been playing catch up for over a decade. Like you, you look at your Arsenal's, your cities, uh, Man United, Chelsea, whatever. And every facet of how they run their football club business, whatever you want to refer it to as, they pivoted and we didn't. And we're paying for we paid for that. And now you'd like to think that we're finally catching up in some aspects. And it's going to take time. And of course, some fans and you know what, you have a right to be frustrated at times and think that we should be doing a little bit better and maybe bridging a little bit closer. But like Tom said, every season we've had some sort of setback if you go to the promotion season of course in march we all know what happened with covid and everything stopped and maybe that kept us up somehow and then you had another mini preseason and then going into last season you didn't even have a full preseason and then going into this season you didn't have a full preseason it's i mean it, it it applies for every club of course but i think what we're trying to build here too and you kind of have to sit back and look at it it's gonna take time now of course and we've, we've said this since the start, if we would have kept Jack Grealish and we would have bought a few players in and it went all well, I think, yeah, okay, fair enough. But I mean, I don't want to keep saying it because we can't just say, oh, we, we lost our best player and that's the end of it. That's our excuse because there's more to that than just that one. But I don't know. It does get a, a little frustrating. But at the end of the day, I think we do have to sit back and it's important to sit back and know there is a, a positive journey going on. And to really touch on the table, of course, um, I know we're still in ninth because I think we have plus one goal differential. Leicester have minus four. And of course, they have two games in hand. But you look at their schedule and this is probably the season that you would say that we have a really good shot at finishing at least ninth. They still have to play United. They have, they're still in the uh, quarterfinals of the Europa Conference League. They have uh, two rounds against PSV to still play. They have Palace. They have Newcastle, who are no jokes. Everton, you don't know what they're going to be in late April at that point. Of course, we still have to play them. They have Spurs. They have Everton again, which in May could be desperation time for them. They have Watford, who are desperate as well. And Southampton at the final day, you never know what you're going to get. So you know what? Like, we have a tough run, but... I don't know. I just want to kind of end on a little bit of a positive note, at least, um, and hope we still, I say it every podcast now, I feel, or hint at it, we're going to beat City on the final day. 
and we're going to stop them for getting the Premier League title because I refuse to give a lap of honor. I, <laughs> I don't give a shit. That's not happening. But anyways, let's go to uh, the three word reviews. I know we're kind of backtracking to the Arsenal game, but I forgot to do them. And I do like sharing these out because I know some of our listeners that do get involved enjoy uh, hearing what they said getting read out. So, of course, you can tweet us at 7500 Holt post-match. Usually it goes out around 15 minutes or so after the game. So I'll just read a few of them here quickly. Uh, let's go to Rob G. Atreore sighting. Yes, very, very, very rare. And I can't remember what the stat was. We haven't seen him in feels like 96 years, basically. Uh, Carl saying not good enough. Shendo AVFC saying average lacking ideas. Mr. P, I'm just going to keep reading out your stuff because I feel bad for messing up your name a few weeks ago. He says lack of interest. Um, Zwitter says dear. Oh, dear. Rob uh, Kamiski, inconsistency killing us. And we'll do um, three more here. Uh, Techie Monkey, nobody looks arsed. Uh, Dave DeGurnier, Smith Row dives. And we'll finish with uh, Tyrell Furlow. That kind of, I guess, goes along the, the the whole officiating line we were trying to dismiss. But nonetheless, he says yellow card inconsistency. So thank you, everybody, of course, for getting involved. And of course, like I said, you can tweet us at 7500 to hold in the future to have your say. And we're going to skip match balls, I think, for this one. And it's probably the first one I've done. And I- I'm going against my own rule, but. I did a player ratings yesterday on the website and it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, Yeah. I probably had more fun watching paint dry than watching that nonetheless. So we'll skip this one. We'll give ourselves one little break here to, uh, I don't know, keep our mental sanity a little bit intact, but uh, nonetheless, I think we'll wrap things up there. Of course, now we have the international break. I don't know if we'll have anything coming out. We might have something come out at some point. Um, in regards to kind of diving maybe even more into Villa season so far, what we expect, maybe we'll get a special guest on to speak about that as well and kind of dive into something to get some more Villa content because I know a lot of people hate the international break, especially when it's just friendlies. But anyways, we'll leave it there. And of course, if you want to find any of us on social media, you can uh, go in the description of wherever you're listening to this podcast and you can find them there. Leave the podcast a positive review. But anyways, we'll leave it there. And don't forget up the villa. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 